Welcome to the Talent Talk with Robert Walters podcast, where we speak to business leaders around the globe to bring you the latest trends and insights from the world of work. Hi, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Talking Technology podcast by Robert Walters, where we discuss technology, cloud, infrastructure, and leadership. We sit down with senior leaders from across the UK tech scene, discussing technology and how best to implement it. We'll also be finding out what makes these leaders tick, why they do what they do, what drives them forward, and why they're really passionate about the sector that they work in. My name is Richard Jenkins, and I'm a senior manager here at Robert Walters, and I'll be your host. And we're recording this on the last day of September, and there's certainly an autumnal feel in the air. And I think we can say that summer probably has well and truly left us behind. Um, this episode, I'm really excited to say that we're shared, uh, joined by Seb Green, the head of IT for the Fox Group. Um, Seb has over 16 years development and IT experience, working from agency through to in-house at some of the country's best-known brands. Although very much in a leadership and management position, Seb still very much likes to get involved in the code, uh, keeping himself up to date with the technology at the forefront of the business. It's also worth noting as well that Seb has been asked to judge uh, at the UK Dev Awards, UK Tech Awards, and now the UK Tech Excellence Awards. Um, this episode is all about the build versus buy dilemma, which is something that I know many businesses and leaders face and grapple with, uh, looking at microservices through to software. With global enterprise software spending reaching around the $466 billion in value in dollars, it appears that many companies are finding it more convenient to buy commercial software rather than building it themselves. However, is this the right solution for everybody? What are the implications of buying rather than building uh, and the challenges within that? Seb's here to hopefully answer some of those questions. So without further delay, Seb, welcome and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. No problem at all. Well, what we do, Seb, typically is we we want to get an introduction to you know you and you know your background. So I don't know if you could just maybe start with talking us through that. Sure. Um, oh, where to start? I'm a computer science graduate, um, Manchester Met, um, straight out of uni, went into an IT support role, moved into development, and it's a pretty standard career trajectory through there. I'd say I've been quite lucky that I've always bumped into people in the Manchester startup scene here you know it's a it's yeah. a hotbed of e-com so I've been at without naming names I've been at some pretty big e-com fast fashion giants in Manchester here for quite a few years employee yeah. number five at one of them um that were quite involved with Love Island I'm sure many people will be able to figure out which one that is yeah you know that that was a, a baptism of fire really um I was head of development there for I think two and a half years right from the start all the way through to about three or four years ago. Um, been involved in everything from front-end builds on WooCommerce, Shopify, Magento, also kind of dug deep into the back end of things, uh, microservices, um, SaaS products, built SaaS software, um, built out various teams. So it's been quite a, an interesting past 15, 16 years. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Uh, and, and how did you end up falling into the kind of tech space? I kind of, I don't know, I just had a, I found when I was younger, I had a passion for it. You know, I, I'm i the generation that kind of came up with the internet in its infancy. You know, yeah. I can remember a time before the internet and before mobile phones. Yeah, yeah. And it was, you know, back then there wasn't, you know, 
25 different frameworks to learn for web development. It was CSS and HTML. I remember yeah. when it was HTML and it was all just table-based. Mm. So I kind of just started experimenting with it. You know, my dad had a, a computer at home that he used to use for work and I would mess around with it on an evening when he wasn't using it. Then um, got the option to do uh, IT as a module for GCSE and A-level. My school at the time obviously noticed that I had a bit of a an interest in it and they mm. the the school I was at had partnered with Cisco at the time. So they actually put me through the CCNA training course right. um, when I was in sixth form. Did that, kind of didn't know what to do for uni, so just kind of fell into computer science. Um and then just went from there. And it's I feel I'm quite lucky. It's one of those ones where I enjoy what I'm doing. So I don't, you know, wake up in the morning and dread it. Don't get me mm. wrong, there's 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 tasks, there's jobs, there's situations that are not enjoyable. But overall, I wake up every day and I enjoy yeah. doing what I do for a living. Yeah, that's great to hear. And um you you probably if I mean the technology sector's uh, you know fast growing, it's you know, there's always new things happening, isn't there? So um you probably wouldn't have known that to the extent, you know, when you joined, but where we're at now, if you look back, the, the changes have been fantastic, really, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, even even when I was at uni, um, and I did a four year sandwich course, mm. the technology and the tech stack and the languages that I was using at uni, the lecturers even said, you know, we're teaching you this now, mm. but here's a list of other things that you should be looking at because the university were very open. The lecturers were great in terms of saying we teach you this for the curriculum. This is not what's used in industry. You know, we were using uh, for animation. We were taught Mac and Media Dreamweaver. Right. That had already been superseded by Flash. Macromedia mm. had already been bought by Adobe, I think, at that time. So they knew they were teaching us outdated technologies and languages, but it was all about teaching us the the concepts, the principles. You know, any yeah. good programmer can in theory pick up any language. It's just syntax. As long as mm. they know programming concepts, they can run with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, this discussion today is, is all around that build versus buy dilemma, I guess, for many businesses and, and, and IT leaders. So I guess for the uninitiated, Seb, I mean, what, what do we mean by build versus buy? It will mean many different things to many different people. You know, microservices is a term that gets banded around a lot. So if you, let's say you're, you're a company and you want uh, an e-com website, do you do you use a platform like Shopify and buy a theme? Do you use WooCommerce and sort your own hosting out? Or do you build a bespoke platform from scratch? And the same applies to anything. You know, it could be you're, you're a new company and you want um, an accounting piece of software. Yeah. Do you build one or do you buy one? Um, you know, the, the same concept can be applied to anything. You know, if you need a new chair and you're good at carpentry, do you build it or do you go buy it? It's, yeah. it's that concept, but just applied yeah. in software. Um and I think one of the big issues we get a lot, and it's, you know, I've, I've grappled with it in every business I've been in, and I'm sure many other people grapple with it on a day-to-day basis. It's that, it's that concept of, do we, do we have a load of capital outlay now, have an off-the-shelf piece, piece of software, train the staff to use it and be up and running in two weeks? Mm. Or do we spend the time to build something bespoke? will probably cost a bit more, will mm. take longer, but it will be 100% exactly what you want it to be. And you can make feature enhancements. You, you can tailor that piece of software and that piece of software can grow with the business or with the project as it needs to. Yeah. There's also the added benefit that um, the company owns the IP of that. 
you mm. know, if, if there's ever a, you know, if there's a sale or a flotation down the line, that tool that you've built internally is secret source to that business. Mm. You know, the other option is you, you might be able to get to market much more quicker with a piece of software that you bought off the shelf, but nine times out of 10, you've just got a license to that. You don't really own it. Yeah. And it may only do 80% of what you want it to do. And, you know, it might mean some of your processes have to follow the way that piece of software works rather than the actual most efficient process for the business. Yeah, no, really good analogies there. Uh, I, I like the idea of you know building a chair if you're a carpenter. I think that breaks it down pretty nicely. Um, we've ma- mentioned it a few times as well, uh, microservices. Um, again, could you maybe just give us a, an example of, you know, what is a microservice? Yeah, so anything in, in, kind of isolation can be a microservice it's it's looking at bigger systems and then breaking them down into you know smaller modules so let's say you know i've got loads of experience in e-com so i can read off hundreds of microservices based yeah. on e-com so one of them could be you know a wish list the customer using the website just sees that as they're adding items into a wish list and then at a later stage they can look at those lists and add those items into the basket mm. but that concept of actually adding an item to a wish list where does the data go where's it stored How's it interacted with? So the customer or the user, that is one part of an overall website, but it doesn't necessarily need to sit on the same server. You know, in the past, I've had stores running on Shopify and the wish list has been a microservice that we've built in AWS with the future plan being that at some point we're going to have an iOS app or an Android app. Mm. If the customer has the same user account across those three platforms, the wish list is a microservice that is platform agnostic between all three. So mm. you plug that microservice into each of the platforms. It doesn't matter what device they add the, to the wish list from, they'll be able to see that reflected across every platform that is interacting with that microservice. Yeah. The same as, um, you know, a microservice doesn't need to be public facing either. Let's say you've got a website and then you've got a warehouse management piece of software. Out the box, those two might not talk to each other but you could build a kind of middleware translation there that, you know, talks to the website API, pulls out any new orders, manipulates the data, you know, maybe translates the format and then pushes it into the WS, the WMS software API. That kind of middleware is a microservice. You know, sometimes you can view them as they're a black box. Data goes in, data comes out. And what happens in the middle is that little bit of magic that is, you know, it's, it's very specialized micro it's a micro set of services, a micro feature set that in its entirety can be bundled up and moved around. And, you know, you could just because you plugged it into one website, there's no reason why you couldn't duplicate it and have it talking to three different websites and three different WMS softwares. Yeah, absolutely. No, perfect. Um, I mean, we've probably heard on the news um, recently that the the government has started to look into um the the cloud-based services that are on offer uh, around, you know, the market competitiveness, you know, AWS, Azure, GCP. Uh, I mean, have you, you've heard that I imagine and, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Yes. So the, any, any kind of microservice or SaaS product, you know, you're, you're, you're building it on top of underlying infrastructure and typically, you know, most of the stuff I build is Amazon Web Services. There's also Google Cloud Platform, there's Microsoft Azure, and they all offer the same functionality. You don't reinvent the wheel. You yeah. know, when you're building a website, you don't go and buy a server and put it in a data. You know, you rent server space. And effectively, when you're building microservices, typically they're built on one of those three platforms. 
there are others. There's um, Linode where you can, it's a little bit more of a self-management setup where you have to manage the server. You know, one of the beauties of AWS is you can run serverless architecture. So you, mm. you can run soft, you know, functions as a service instead of having to worry about managing the server in the infrastructure. The government at the moment are saying, you know, all, all these, you know, the UK.gov website and all the various other NHS systems and all the main government infrastructure is is running on one of these big American companies. Yeah. Stacks. I'm not convinced there is an issue with competition because effectively there's three companies there. There's also other competitors there that aren't, you know, one of the big three. I think it's slightly more, well, let me rephrase that. I wonder if these were UK-owned companies, mm. would this issue have arisen? Arisen. I think it's mainly uh, the actual concern is what is happening with all this UK uh, data? Where yeah. is it going? Where is it being processed? Yeah, yeah. That that is what I think the ultimate issue is, um, because I think any you know even if the government were to turn around and say you know what here's an investment pot we're going to invest X amount hundreds of millions in a UK startup that wants to take on Amazon Web Services, mm. that is going to be massive. Um, yeah. You know, I can't even, you know, you're probably talking hundreds of billions of pounds to build that. Mm. And just the man hours, the stuff, you know, when you look at the, the services that AWS offers, it's it's a mammoth tooling set that any developer can have access to. Yeah. I don't think the UK really wants to do that. You know, what's the point of reinventing the wheel? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I don't think there's probably the appetite there is there to, to go and do that. But it'll be interesting to see what the the findings are um, once they've kind of delved into it. Um, I imagine there won't be <laughs> any major implications, but uh, it will be interesting to see what, what their kind of analysis of it is. Yeah, I think that UK data processed off UK shores, you know, that's not new. That's yeah. always going to be an issue. You know, if, even if you look at America, the whole TikTok thing. Yeah, yeah. Do you know where is where is US citizen data going? Is it going over to China servers? I mean, as it is, Google Cloud Platform Azure, they all when you're setting it up, if you set it up correctly, you can choose UK-based data centers. Yeah. I I hope the NHS, UK.gov, they they've all done that if they've been set up correctly. So as it is, UK data shouldn't actually be leaving UK-based servers anyway. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts of this discussion then, Seb. So let, let, let's maybe start with the build argument. Um, I guess beyond just keeping developers and teams busy, you know, what are some of the, the pros to, to building, uh, you know, in your own company? Ownership, full control. You know, if, you, if you're building a piece of software, you can tailor it to exactly the specification that you want. Um, there are obviously, you know, there is the step before that to actually assess, do you have the budget in place? Because it's not cheap. Do, do you have the resources? Um, and it's not just the resources in terms of the skill set. There's other things around that um, in terms of, you know, compliance, data protection. You know, you might have a best developer. You might have a, a great team of developers building you uh, an order processing microservice. Mm. But if that is handling customer card details, you know, unique identifiable data for a customer, but they accidentally store it on an open database somewhere. 
mm. that can open you up to massive issues. So there's there's various, air, you know, security, compliance, um, reliability, maintenance that that are can be seen as a negative and a positive. You know, yeah. If you're building it and you do it correctly, you can guarantee that each one of those areas is covered. You yeah. know, the adverse of that would be if you were to buy a piece of software. How do you know it's compliant? Yeah. How do you know it's secure? It, it, what if that company goes bust and you're stuck with it? You know, there's 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 pros and cons to it. Building it will take longer. Yeah. But when it's done correctly, it's in the longer term. It's I think it's much better for some things. You know, don't reinvent the wheel. You know, if you want an accounting software, don't write an accounting software unless unless it's so specific. You know, use QuickBooks, use Zero. You know. Yeah, Shopify is an e-com platform. You know, if you can find a good good developer that knows the platform, they can pretty much make them do ninety nine percent of what people want them to do. Yeah. But there are certain things in businesses that I would say, you know, like the business's secret source, where that will be the differentiator between you and your competitor. Those are the kind of things that should be built. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think uh, that's a really good point. I mean, you've kind of touched on some of the cons then of, of building um, there, but I, I mean, are there some of the some of them that you've maybe missed out there that businesses should be aware of? Yeah, it's not, but you know, building it is sounds great, but it might not always be the right choice, um, and you you know, it can open up a can of worms. You know, Stripe, Square Payments, Adyen. PayPal, all those payment gateways that have built checkout solutions that you can tack onto your existing website versus building your own checkout, building your, your effectively building your own integration into an existing payment gateway. You then start to look at PCI DSS compliance, various different ISO regulations that you need or ISO accreditations that you need to get. And those can be, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds, hundreds of hours of, uh, I don't want to say box ticking exercises, but that's effectively what they are. Um, mm. You know, hundreds of thousands of pounds buying specialist hardware to go in specialist data centers that you need. You need to train your staff on how to support it. Support is a different, you know, if, you, if you're building out your own bespoke infrastructure, you need 24 seven support for that because if that goes down on a weekend, that's your customers that are affected. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, good point. Um, I think, you know, we've touched on some of these then. Um, but let's look at some of the reasons why, if, if, you're, if you're a business, is, is there a, a typical business then that, 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 that should look to buy? Is that dependent on the size of the company, the, the type of organization, the industry that they're in? Are there some kind of stereotypical businesses that should go and look to buy software or microservices? I'm not sure there is. I think it's more the the parts of a business or the functions of a business, you know? So like every bit, every business above a certain size, you would probably say would have an accounting team or someone doing accounting. There's yeah. some really good accounting software out there. Yeah. It's a regulated industry. It's, you know, a profit and loss. Granted the numbers and the lines will be like the, the, the fundamentals of a profit and loss or submitting your tax return or submitting your company accounts to HMRC every year. It's the mm. same. Building your own piece of software to do that is probably not going to, you know, it's not going to move the needle that much. Yeah. It's probably going to be more of a headache than anything for you. Yeah. If it's, yeah. Um, you know, 
the marketing team with CRM or the sales team. There's some really good CRM products out there. One of the things that I've one of the things that I've noticed a lot in companies is it's it's the connections between these pieces of software. Yeah. So let's say um you're you have a sales team and you've got an e-com team. The e-com team are using Shopify. Um, let's say your your ERP is uh, Oracle NetSuite and the sales team are using Zendesk. Yeah. The way that those three systems talk to each other, that is where I think you will potentially look to have some speciality in building the integrations. Each one of those platforms has their own app stores where you can buy off the shelf integrations, but they might not work exactly the way you want it to work. So, so one example of a place I've previously worked, if the person's listening to this, they'll know I'm talking about. <laughs> so um, we wanted to do kind of a post-purchase upselling. Yeah. So you're on the, the order completed page, you know, thank you very much for your order. Here's your tracking number, et cetera. And then it was like, do you, you know, you've just spent X amount. Here's a discount for, this product, trying to just get them, you know, trying to get the AOV to increase, add another item into the, add another item onto the order once they've placed the order. Yeah. Now, at the time, that was a Shopify store and the ERP was Bright Pearl. Now, the way that that out-of-the-box integration, the, um, I think that was a Bright Pearl integration. They built it. They owned it. We just installed it. Yeah. The minute the order was placed, that would push the order to Bright Pearl. As soon right. as that order was in Bright Pearl, the warehouse team, in theory, could start picking and packing it. Now, the problem was, if that customer had then chosen on that post-purchase flow to order that product after they'd already placed the order, that would get added to the order in Shopify, but it wouldn't resync the order to Bright Pearl. Right. Yeah. So the warehouse team wouldn't know that order actually has another product added to it now. Mm. So that meant effectively another member of staff every day had to look through all the orders to see if any had been adapted in Shopify or sorry, they had an additional product in Shopify and then manually update them in Brightcore. Yeah, yeah. That would cause a knock-on effect as well because some of those orders might already have been shipped. Yeah, yeah. So that's where the out-the-box integration was actually becoming a, a kind of limit for the business in terms of uh, offering a better customer journey. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. Um, I think having spoken to lots of people in, in in this sector about this topic, and it seems to be that probably the best way to go about it before you do anything is is probably going back to an old fashioned pros and cons list. Would you, would you suggest, Seb? You know, looking at the business from um, a top top level and scaling down into it and going, look, what do we actually need, and and what are the pros, what are the cons before we make any sort of decision? Is is that the way that you would look at it before you uh, make a decision? And and are there some major questions or big key questions that you would be asking before you make a decision? Yeah, the pros and cons list always help. You know, I always look at it. You know, what is the what is the MVP? What's the minimum viable product that we can, you know, that we can go with. I think one problem with that or one issue that I've run into with that is at the time you do it, you might make the right choice. But in the example I just gave, you know, the post-purchase thing or the post-purchase feature was kind of added after the fact. You know, it was kind of two years after the Shopify Bright Pearl integration was installed. 
So it was like, actually, at the time, the off-the-shelf integration was fine. It worked. But now the business need has changed. The tool didn't fit the business need anymore. Yeah. Then it became a question of, right, what's the business disruption if we actually want to change this? Yeah. And build it ourselves. You know, do we have the resource to do it? What's the downtime? What's the maintenance going to be? It, the pros and cons piece needs to happen regularly every yep. time there's a there's a kind of uh not scope creep but every every time there's a feature request or enhancement that needs some bespoke or that could need some bespoke development doing had the choice been made prior to that so two years ago when bright pearl and shopify were first being set up and we said actually we're going to build a bespoke integration between the two that would have ultimately had the flexibility where we can say oh yes we can add that in there's no downtime however yep in that two-year period, we would have been responsible for maintenance, uptime, you know, various other bits of that, fixing bugs when it had gone wrong. So it's the pros and cons thing is the right way to go, but you've just got to be prepared that it's you'll be doing that a lot because businesses are constantly evolving. The tech's constantly evolving. You know, if you if you're you could buy an off-the-shelf piece of software and two years down the line, that software company could actually say we've made an update or we've changed something and mm. that could, it could clash with the way you've been using it in the past. Yeah. So your business, your, your business function or your business process is tied to the way that software is built. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, really, really good point. Uh, it's probably one of those, isn't it, where you're right, you're going to be constantly looking at it. You're going to be constantly reevaluating what's right for, for, for your business. Um are, are there, and you'll know much better than me, are there businesses that can that can go with that kind of hybrid model then? Does does that work quite well? Have you seen that work? Yeah, I think one of the one of the good things about a kind of more traditional microservice, as you would call it, is the fact that they they're kind of very self-contained. So from a contracting point of view, you could in theory you know, your business might not have any dev resource. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a need to build a microservice for an integration. And then you you bring in a contractor for three months, they build it. Um, you put a, I'm not sure whether you put a support contract in place with them, however, however you work the kind of maintenance ongoing. Yeah. They build it, it's up and running, they're supporting it on an ad hoc basis and the business continue, the business gets the benefits of that. Yeah. You know, that it's not always a case that we're saying we can't build it because we don't have a dev team. You know, yeah. a lot of times these microservices, you build them and then they'd require not no maintenance, but minimal maintenance going forward. Yeah. Versus businesses out there that have, you know, a full-time dev team. Then it would be a case of looking at the looking at the project priorities, you know, we could they could build something bespoke or they could work on another project and buy that off the shelf integration to plug those two pieces of software together so it's a trade-off yeah yeah absolutely i i think you're right um and it, i guess it's also looking at the skill set in in your organization as well isn't it are they is it the right have you got the right skills to go and build something internally or are the people that you would be leaning on more suited to something else within the organization that might drive it forward as well so i guess looking at that compatibility between your teams and and what you're trying to do i, I guess that's an angle you'd look at as well yeah but there is also the education piece to that as well you know sure. if, I, if i've yeah. got a team and 
you know, I've got a team of front-end developers or vice versa, a team of back-end developers, and there's an integration that needs to happen somewhere, and it's in Python, and that I've got a JavaScript developer. That's a learning opportunity for them. Sure. You know, I always think that yeah. you should, any, any tech team should be willing to learn new things because it's, you know, any new skill that the developer learns, they bring it back into the business with them the next day. Yeah, yeah. But absolutely, you should. It should. I mean, I'd hope any business would have a tech stack matched with a, with their skill set in house or yeah. externally. I think that would be that would be a tricky situation. You know, if, if you're on a if you're on a node, if you're on a JavaScript tech stack, and your in house developers only know Python, that's yeah. that's yeah. a bit of a recipe for disaster. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, well, I think we're kind of we're coming towards the end of the, the kind of discussion. I think we've, we've really hit on some, some good points here, Seb, but are there any kind of final thoughts that you've got um, that you would, you know, words of advice or um, kind of lasting remarks that you would want to put out there with regards to this, this kind of build versus buy? Yeah. Um, I think there's a, I'm not sure whether it's an attitude or an opinion from, um, CEOs or senior management that maybe are not the most tech savvy that you know that stuff is finished you know they'll mm. say oh once once that piece of software is is done that'll solve all our problems you know yeah. once once the data is ready it solves all our problems I think it's software is never finished you know there's always bugs there's always you know if you're yeah. integrating between two pieces of software those two pieces of software will also be getting updated. So an integration that might work, an integration might need updating after a while, you know, because one of the pieces of software that it's integrating with has changed, you know, there'll be yeah. new uh, security requirements, you know, there'll be server updates, there'll be patches. I think it's a thing. It's, it's realizing that it, the tech in general is, is always in flux. It's always advancing. It's always moving forward and not having this kind of finished, mindset it's it's never i would say it's never finished it's working right now in the current landscape but that landscape is moving yeah yeah and kind of accepting that and realizing you know if, if your business needs a, a dev resource constantly bringing contractors in now is not is not the best solution it's also going to get very expensive you know maybe yeah. do have an in-house dev resource or maybe do partner with a, a third-party provider that can offer that to you on an ad hoc basis. Absolutely, yeah. No, I think there's some really, really good points there. Um, and you're right. You know, I think any business that tries to stand still um, with anything really, but you know, especially technology and software, they're going to get left behind, aren't they? Um, I mean, that's the bottom line. But um, great. I, I really appreciate you coming on, Seb. There's been some really interesting um kind of discussions there and i'm sure a lot of people get a lot of value out of that so thanks for coming on uh, to the podcast today um i think we've come to the end there uh, i think it's something that we could probably talk about for uh, at least another hour but um i think we're kind of hitting the the, the time limit so thanks uh, for coming on seb i i appreciate you no problem thanks for having me it's been good talking to you excellent thanks a lot well uh 
Thanks to everyone, anyone that's listening to this. Um, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks with uh, another episode. Um, we're always looking for people that are interested in talking about technology, uh, innovations, challenges, whatever that may be. So if you're interested in getting involved, uh, please reach out to me. Uh, but for now, thanks uh, for listening and we'll, we'll catch you soon.